The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV shops or reviews, along with news and opinions, got the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who wants those mother-freaking snakes off his mother-freaking plane, because with me is a guy who I just cannot believe has put up with me for 200 episodes of this show, because with me is the Quatsit to my Sherlock, because with me is a guy who is into all the cosplay that goes on on the Comic-Con floor, and of course with me is the guy who stopped a nuclear bomb from going off in New York City with absolutely no idea what he was doing. Can with me is a guy who knows not to fall out of helicopters when wearing a Santa suit. Can with me is a guy who is always ready with a grenade. Can with me is a guy who plays a really mean Max guitar. My co-host and jukebox hero. Can with me is a guy who has not been replaced by a Zygon. Can with me is a guy who thinks it was about time for heroes to wrap itself up. Can with me is a guy who is shocked to discover that his former master is Darth Vader. Can with me is a guy who has a Fear of Hortopoly, thanks to the Equinox. Get with me, because the guy who just wants to believe. My co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airways. On this week's episode, we continue the fall 2016 TV season with our review of Star Wars Rebels, Westworld, and the season 12 premiere of Supernatural. But before we get into all of that, we're going to kick things off with the News with Nico section this week. Rogue One final trailer for Star Wars film debuts on Good Morning America. The Force is strong in the final trailer for Rogue One, a Star Wars story, which made its debut during last Thursday's Good Morning America. The standalone film, directed by Gareth Edwards, is said to take place between the events of Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, and follows a group of Resistance fighters who set forth to steal the plans of the Death Star. The ensemble, led by Felicity Jones, also features Force Whitaker, Mads Mikkelsen, Riz Ahmed, Alan Tudyk, and Ben Mendelsohn. Follow the link in the ACC feed to watch it again. A lightsaber combat academy is coming to San Francisco. Have you ever wanted to learn the ways of the Jedi and master the art of the lightsaber? Unlike Luke Skywalker, most of us can't get away for the weekend to play around in Yoda's Jedi fantasy camp on Dagobah. But if you happen to live in the Bay Area, Ludo Sports may have the next best thing. Ludo Sports is bringing its international franchise to the U.S. with a competitive lightsaber school in San Francisco. This is no joke, and Ludo Sports certainly doesn't treat it that way. For them, lightsaber combat is a serious sport. Sport, and they've previously opened franchises in several countries, including England, France, Ireland, Spain, and Italy. We wouldn't be shocked if more locations open up in the U.S., but it seems like a fitting start to place the first one in the same city as Lucasfilm's headquarters. The history of Ludo Sport stretches back a decade, and its founders discovered ways to apply their knowledge of martial arts and swordplay to the iconic weapons from the Star Wars franchise. There's definitely a karate dojo vibe to it, as students receive certain uniforms that line up with their skill level. Follow the link in the ACC feed for more details. New Ahsoka novel is a must-read for Clone Wars fans. Ahsoka Tano. Introduced in Star Wars The Clone Wars, the Togruten had made waves in the galaxy and in fandom. She left the Jedi Order during the Clone Wars animated series and reappeared years later, a few years in real life and over ten years in Star Wars canon, in Star Wars Rebels. We got to know her as an agent working for the budding Rebel Alliance. But what happened to her in the intervening time? Star Wars Ahsoka by E.K. Johnston delves into unexplored territory for the character. I've not read this novel yet, but Amy Radcliffe over at Nerdist says it is an absolute must read for fans of the Clone Wars and Rebels shows. And I usually take Nerdist's word on these sort of things and will be giving it a read just as soon as I finally finish Ready Player One. First look at Doctor Who Christmas Special. It's been long enough now, going into the 10th series of Doctor Who and the 6th under lead writer Stephen Moffat, that we should expect to get as little information as possible about upcoming episodes of Doctor Who. I get the feeling that Moffat would just prefer there never be any trailers or anything, and instead just a still frame of Peter Capaldi. But at New York Comic Con, a first look at the 2016 Christmas Special was released, and it shows precious little of what's to come. There were a few interesting 
takeaways here. Despite the couple of actual clips being interspersed with behind-the-scenes footage of Capaldi and returning guest star Matt Lucas being silly, the first is the confirmation that the title of the Christmas special is The Return of Dr. Mysterio, which we can assume is referring to the Doctor himself, obviously, who might be somehow in league with the superhero in this episode. Oh yeah, remember there's a superhero? In the middle of last week, we learned that actor Justin Chatwin would be appearing in the special as some kind of unnamed superhero, and we definitely got a good look at him here. He looks sort of like Nightman from the short-lived 90s syndicated TV show, but his emblem is a red brick-looking number with the letter G on it. Follow the link in the ACC feed for a sneak peek trailer from New York Comic Con. Game of Thrones. Leanna Mormont is definitely returning for season seven. Leanna Mormont, played by Bella Ramsey, only spoke in two scenes during the Game of Thrones sixth season, but she stole them both. In fact, the fearsome preteen Lady of Bear Island, who was the first to proclaim Jon Snow King in the North, may have been the breakout new character of the whole season. So it's no surprise that she'll be back for season seven, which Watchers on the Wall confirmed on Monday. It's much too early to say what Leanna Stark's young namesake will be doing in season 7, but it's safe to speculate that it will be inspiring. Remember, Game of Thrones doesn't return till sometime next summer. Stranger Things promotes Steve and Will, adds mysterious duo in season 2. Prepare to see a few new faces, and a lot more of some familiar ones, when Stranger Things returns for its second season. Not only has the supernatural Netflix drama promoted Joe Keery, who plays Steve, and Noah Schnapp, who plays Will, to series regulars, but it's also welcoming two newcomers, American Odyssey's Sadie Sink and Power Rangers. Dakri Montgomery. Sink will play Max, described as a tough and confident girl whose appearance, behavior, and pursuits seem more typical of boys than girls in this era. She has a complicated history and is generally suspicious of those around her. Montgomery, meanwhile, will play Max's hyper-confident, edgy older brother. He steals girlfriends away from their boyfriends, is great at drinking games, and drives a black Camaro. But lurking underneath his apparent charisma is a violent and unpredictable nature. I can't wait for the next season of this series, and Michael and I will be doing an ATA special episode dealing with the first season sometime around Christmas. So if you have not seen Stranger Things season one, make sure you have by the Christmas TV break. Fantastic Beasts story will be told in five films. If you were concerned about whether Newt Skimmeter, the star of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, would be able to find all the Fantastic Beasts, worry no more. J.K. Rowling has confirmed the story will unfold over five movies. Yes, five. Fantastic Beasts, debuting on November 18th, is a further exploration of the world established in the Harry Potter series. That series of films included eight titles, so maybe these additional movies shouldn't be a big surprise. It was initially announced only as a trilogy. The world of Fantastic Beasts hasn't been established in a series of seven novels like Harry Potter was. We had expectations with Harry Potter and an idea of how much story had to be told, but with Fantastic Beasts, the door is wide open. News about the expansion of the Fantastic Beasts story came right after a Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them IMAX fan event. The cast gathered for a Q&A in the United Kingdom and fans watched in person in theaters around the globe and on Facebook. Now, I'm I'm excited for the Harry Potter universe to come to America this November, and I'm really looking forward to this film. And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right, we're going to start this week's reviews off with the Star Wars Rebels episode, the fourth episode of the third season, entitled Hera's Heroes. Hera's rebel supply mission to Ryloth becomes personal when she and the ghost crew brave overwhelming Imperial forces to recover a memento from her ancestral home. You know, the rebellion fighting the Empire is about as big picture as it gets. The fate of the galaxy is at stake, after all. The Empire has been chipping away at various planets and infrastructure since Palpatine took control, and the entire galaxy is in danger. Those stakes resonate throughout this series because of all the smaller, more intimate battles happening all over. Because every sweeping action the Empire takes affects individuals. But Hera has been looking at the broad scope of the fight for about as long as we've known her on this series. Finally, in this episode, she took on a personal mission, and we got to delve into her backstory a little more. With the Empire taking parts of Ryloth by force, including the province Hera knows as home, she's moved to take personal action. Her father and Numa barely escaped the Empire's grasp, and in the haste of escape, they were unable to take anything with them. Hera realizes an important family heirloom 
home has been left behind, and she becomes all about recovering it. Although her military training wouldn't allow her to do so, luckily the family of the ghost were there to back her up and convince her that it was worth attempting going after it, and they volunteered their assistance. The plan seemed easy enough. Ezra would don an imperial disguise and take Hera in as if she were a prisoner. They got in with really no problem, and even spent a few seconds discussing Chopper's trauma overseeing the Y-Wing he crashed in, and it was left near Hera's home as a memorial of the Clone Wars battles. Just when it looked like Ezra and Hera were going to get out as easily as they and quickly as they got in, with the heirloom in hand, Thrawn arrived. The villain was introduced, of course, in the Season 3 premiere, and finally we got to see more of his handiwork in this episode. The Grand Admiral knows how to play the long game. He's like a cat toying with his prey. He didn't let on to Hera that he knew her true identity from the very beginning. Not immediately. He let her spin a lie first and let the Imperial Commander Captain Slavin twist and squirm as he didn't understand what was going on. The time with Thrawn further emphasized how different he is from your standard Imperial officer. As much as I was impressed with Thrawn's calculating demeanor, I was equally impressed with how Hera kept her cool in this situation. She didn't flinch when Thrawn revealed his hand, knowing who she was from the very beginning. If anything, it made her even more fiery. She even scolded him about keeping her family heirloom for himself. If she was at all intimidated by Thrawn, she didn't show it. Thrawn left the imprisoned Hera and Ezra for Captain Slavin and his men to deal with, but he absolutely knew she was somehow going to get away. He can see more moves ahead than you and I can ever imagine. He remained on a single emotional level the entire episode, whether he was spilling his information to Hera or letting the rebels get away with the victory they had earned at the end of the episode. Except for that one moment when he lost his temper with the Imperial officer's stupidity, he kept an even cool throughout the episode. In that scene, though, he showed his anger towards Slavin for just a couple of seconds, and I gotta say it was terrifying to behold the change when the masks slipped. I had always wondered about whether Thrawn could have been turned to the Rebellion in the early days. He seemed to be so poorly suited to the Empire, loyal to them because they recognized his brilliance and gave him a position of power, but ill-suited to the Imperial thoughts, and especially the xenophobia. Finally, I wanted to touch on the most badass moment of the episode. Did you see Kanan catch that rocket launcher's blast using the Force and throw it back at the Imperials? <laughs> I thought that was awesome. It, I like seeing things like that, where they use creative displays of the Force, and Kanan's move definitely caught my attention in this episode. Interesting episode because of the revelations of Hera's backstory and the interaction between her and Thrawn, but otherwise a rather boring and run-of-the-mill episode. Ezra was worthless in this one, Kanan had his great moment with the rocket launcher I just mentioned, but otherwise the rest of the Ghost crew were merely passengers in this episode. Well, those are my thoughts on this week's Rebels. Hopefully I'll enjoy next week's more when Rebels returns with the fifth episode of the season entitled The Last Battle. Now we're going to get into the meat of this episode for me with the third episode of Westworld entitled The Stray. Robert programs Teddy with a new narrative, and Teddy rides out of town after a new villain. Meanwhile, Bernard continues his conversations with Dolores to determine the cause of the corruption, while Elsie and Stubbs go out to bring in a malfunctioning host. Alright, let's kick things off with what could be the most important moment of the series so far. After swatting a fly and winking towards consciousness, Dolores broke through her programming and shot a Buford Tannen-looking asshole right through his throat. She fought back, which is a no-no when you're in an enslaved, milk-skinned robot in Westworld. Now she's on the lam, and we can all assume that the unauthorized killing and weapons privilege violation will plunge the park into chaos. What, will it also bring up 30-year-old memories for Dr. Ford? My guess is yes. <laughs> she's not the only one to kill for the first time either. Jimmy Simpson's William finally gets into the action when a bounty breaks his chains and holds Clementine hostage. He turns down thank you sex again, but decides he's ready for an adventure 
adventure outside the town, dragging his friend Logan into the wild country. For all his big talk, Logan seems like he's never actually left the brothel bedrooms during all his trips to the park, but he confirms one strange thing about Westworld. Heading into the desert to search for a dangerous killer looks a lot like heading into the desert to sit quietly by a fire if you don't grab a host to make sure you follow the established story. The MMORPG feel of the park seems like it could get dull really quickly if you don't know the first thing about tracking, or as I said, if you fail to grab a host to help guide you. In a sense, it's almost like they need to offer guests a fast travel option. Meanwhile, it appears that the glitch that allowed Dolores to escape her programming might be spreading. Despite only being seen in flashbacks, the man in black's role in this all seems even more prominent as we saw him in Dolores' memories, doing what I suggested last week, making some changes to her code. Does this mean that my crackpot theory that the man in black is the same character from the movie played by Yul Brenner, and this show is actually a sequel and not a reboot, meaning that the man in black is actually a host? but somehow in god mode maybe what what we know for sure is that bernard was the first to recognize the mutation in dolores's code but rather than fixing it he monitored it and wants to see where it goes the allure of playing god is a powerful one and we see bernard opening the episode making dolores read from alice in wonderland in an effort to push the boundaries of her mind he clearly wanted her to recognize that she's changed toying with the sleeping viper of a robot that can think for itself he ends it apparently ready to stop pursuing cognition realizing his obsessive mistake, but something in Dolores' responses makes him second-guess her reformatting. Dr. Ford warns Bernard not to make the same mistake as his former partner Arnold trying to recreate his dead son. However, the allure is too much for him, or maybe it is the fact that he didn't want to kill this new life after his conversation with his wife earlier in the episode. Either way, he sends Dolores back into the park as is, where she finally pulls the trigger. However, Bernard is not the only member of the team that recognizes these glitches are not merely that, and begins to investigate. Shannon Woodward's Elsie may have found one key to the mystery of their glitchy, milk-pouring, eye-bashing host named Walter from the first episode. He spared some of the other hosts, but the six hosts he did kill had all killed him in previous storylines. Is that a coincidence? Is it Walter acting on revenge? Or is Elsie reading human nature into a machine? She also hypothesized that the host isn't just rambling during his killing spree. He's talking to someone unseen who he calls Arnold, possibly a voice in his head. That name means so much more later on in the episode when we learn that it is the name of Dr. Ford's former partner and one of the lead programmers of the core code of the hosts. Ford's explanation of the bicameral mind comes courtesy of telling Bernard who Arnold is. It turns out Ford had a partner who became obsessed with bringing the hosts into consciousness, which is a problem when you want them to be the delightful playthings of sadistic paying customers. When you sprinkle in awareness, you lose control. Now the malfunctioning puppets are hearing his voice in their heads, a remnant of a larger version of the voice controls the park still uses. The mystery of who's been whispering things to Dolores seems to have been solved, but the larger question becomes, is Arnold just a passive ghost of old code coming back to haunt everyone, or a living thing itself? This essentially is the key to the entire episode, a story threaded together with questions about consciousness. Walter hears Arnold's voice in his head. Dr. Ford describes the bicomarial mind theory put forth by Julian James that suggests a primitive human's mind would talk to itself as a major step towards bootstrapping consciousness and the new villain Wyatt's backstory marks him as a zealot who can hear the voice of God. It also seems that Teddy was the connective tissue that linked all the stories this week. He's even got a human sidekick named Marty who accompanies him on the, the highly dangerous new Wyatt adventure. Ford programs him to give him some new backstory and to give his backstory some specifics they had never given before as part of the new fiction he began building last week at the church. Teddy also proves his limitations to Dolores, who has reservations about running away with a man incapable of seeing anything past the sunset. That conversation was a brilliant showcase of the tension between the show's genre-entrenching writing and its need to keep a modern audience entertained. Westworld does an excellent job of towing the line between cheeseball and compelling. Considering the park experience is written by a hack, which often reminds me of Network 
television writers, if I'm honest. And as such, almost every line of dialogue between Teddy and Dolores is hammy. But the overall scene serves an incredible purpose of showing us Dolores in the middle of her awakening. She's aware enough to want to leave, but not aware enough to realize Teddy's true nature. When he defaults to someday, it may have loosened that last shackle tethering her to the park, or it may have sparked the urge to save him by giving him the awareness she's attaining in that moment. Dolores as a character and a being is a fascinating figure even before considering her embryonic sentience. It is way too common to use women in westerns as victims, but Dolores is programmed and in fact exists specifically to be an object of sexualized violence. She exists so that guests who have the inclination can murder her father and gunfighter boyfriend and then use her however they want. Her purpose in life is to be brutalized, just as many female characters in genre work are. Steve and I even discuss Gotham's insistence on doing this, doing just this, and using the it's based on old comic book stories excuse to justify it in this week's DC Nation discussion. Dolores's existence and awakening are statements on the women in refrigerator trope, or rather, an outright rebuke of it. Her pulling that trigger to protect herself from another attack after needing to be rescued by Teddy earlier in the episode speaks to her no longer being what she was programmed to be, just a helpless woman who needs a man to save her. With Every episode, much like one of my favorite shows, Fringe, this show answers one question but asks ten more. That makes me think we will have plenty of story to keep us entertained for years to come. All right. Finally, we're going to wrap this week's reviews up with a long discussion by Michael J. Petty and his friend who's going to be joining him for this season in their Supernatural reviews and discussions. This week's discussion went a little long, but that was okay because they were both so excited to be talking Supernatural again. So here's their discussion on the 12th season premiere entitled Keep Calm and Carry On. Hey everyone, Michael J. Petty here, and welcome back to the Supernatural segment of the Across the Areas podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Season 12, Episode 1, the premiere of the newest season, Keep Calm and Carry On. But this time, I'm not alone. As you guys know, Dan and Nico had been covering Supernatural here on ATA since the end of Season 5, with the, uh, the episode Swan Song, through the show's rough 10th season. And while I don't blame them for ceasing to review the series after that, I decided that ATA had to see Supernatural through to the end. And last Last year, as you know, I reviewed season 11 all on my own until the final two episodes where Dan joined me once again, optimistic as ever about the show's future. That being said, with Dan's passing this summer, we've had to readjust a bit here at ATA with Nikki, Wu, and James hosting Marvelverse, Nico, Steve, and I on DC Nation, and now Nico going mostly solo here on ATA. We decided, however, that as long as I'm still watching Supernatural, it's going to be covered here on Across Air Raves, as it's our longest-running show here on the podcast uh, ever since episode one. However, I didn't want to record on Supernatural alone again this season, especially because I believe this season will be even better than the last. So joining me for the first time on Across Series is one of my best friends and longtime Supernatural fan, Tim Cook. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's awesome to be here, and I'm super happy to be on Across the Airways with you and talking about one of my favorite shows, Supernatural. Great. Well, Tim, before we get into this episode, I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became a Supernatural fan. Yeah, well, um, you know, we, me and you kind of grew up in the same area, so in background, we've kind of just been friends for a long time and uh, me getting into Supernatural was kind of almost a summer binge watch <laughs> right around season six or seven. Um, I kind of binge watched the entire series up to that point and then decided well you know I'm seven seasons in so I might as well continue on to the end just kind of like you have and I've been watching every season live since then and really enjoying Supernatural and uh, enjoying every new episode in the new season so. Great and you know I honestly don't remember did I get you to watch the show or were you watching it before we t- started talking talking about it. You know, I think you'd mentioned it a couple of times and it got me just intrigued enough to start watching the first couple of seasons of it. So I think you definitely were the cause of me getting into Supernatural, as you are with a lot of TV shows that I watch. (laughs) Ironically enough, I didn't get you to watch Smallville, even though it's my favorite show of all time, because you were already watching that when we met. It's true. Uh, You know, out of all the shows you've got me to watch, your favorite's the one you didn't. (laughs) That's, That's really, that's really something else. Well, awesome. Okay, well, getting into the 
this week's episode, it starts immediately where last season left off, Dean encountering his mother for the first time in 30 years that didn't include either time travel or her being a ghost. Two references that I am super glad they remember to mention this episode. Throughout the episode, we see Mary adjust to her being in her future, learning about angels, the men of letters, how her husband died, and how her children grew up. Uh, you and I, Tim, had talked about Mary being the newest addition to Supernatural's main cast this season, and I know that I have liked the idea ever since her resurrection threw me through a loop last season uh, because it was something I absolutely 100% did not expect to happen, uh, which it was kind of rare, is kind of rare, I should say, when it comes to Supernatural nowadays. What did you think of the inclusion of Mary Winchester in this episode and or season, and where could you see her story going? I mean, first off, holy crap, how much was dropped on Mary in this very first episode? It was also kind of a really good way to just recap us on the story of the actual Winchester family, with Dean having to catch his mom up on just about everything that's happened since the beginning of season one, including what happened to their dad. But I am really, really excited to see where this goes. I think one of the biggest foundations of this entire show has been the Winchester family, and having a third member of that family, which is something we really haven't seen since the first couple seasons of this show, I'm really excited to see the dynamic, and I can't wait for, uh, you know, a little Sammy to be reunited with his mom, too. It's interesting to see the, the dynamic that's already being established between her and Dean, and man, I have no idea where her story is going at all, but I cannot wait to see where it's going, because I think it's a really, really interesting plot twist, and um, something that I really never really expected the show to do. Yeah, and unlike most of the plot twists that have happened so far in the show's uh, later seasons post-Eric Kripke era, um, it, this change in the show didn't really have a lasting effect on the overall story. And what I mean by that is, um, yes, it definitely threw our characters for a loop, and yes, Sam and Dean and even Cassiel have to really understand how to navigate this change to their lives. But Mary's, Mary's return hasn't actually set off something new for the series. Unlike where the Mark of Cain, you know, it brought about the darkness, or mm-hmm. um, the love, you know, Cass taking in all the souls from Purgatory brought about Leviathans, or even them killing Dick Roman sent Dean and Cass straight to Purgatory. It, there, There's no direct correlation between the overall plot from last season and the plot of this season, which seems to be the Hunters facing the Men of Letters, which I'm really excited about, and we'll talk a little bit about more later. Mm-hmm. How did you feel overall about this being more of a personal change to the Winchesters as opposed to like a story-wide change? Because I feel like it could be very interesting to see how the brothers react to their mom because, I mean, they knew their dad in his adult life, you know what I mean? They yeah. they understood how he was, they understand what her death turned him into and mm-hmm. how he had to raise them. They, they understood their dad and they, I think, forgave their dad for a lot of the things that he put them through, but mm-hmm. with their mom, they've kind of always viewed her as a saint and they've, they've, they've put her on this pedestal, this Mother Teresa type pedestal that they're going to finally have to see that she's actually just a normal human being like they are and that she is just as flawed and more, if not maybe more screwed up on some level than they are, especially because she was also raised by hunters. Mm-hmm. So I think this could be a very interesting dynamic. I think that Dean and Sam's interactions with her and what what is going to take place because of it and what changes are going to happen to Mary's character from what we already know of her uh, this season mm-hmm. or from past seasons are going to affect the show. Yeah, I, I actually really like the fact that this is more of a personal plot for both Sam and Dean than it is a story plot for the entire series as a whole. I think it really focuses Mary's return on Sam and Dean then and not so much on plot necessity. I mean, you're right. With something like The Mark of Cain, it was it was a big issue for the plot and it was something that the plot needed to resolve. But I think in this season, what we're going to get is we're going to get two kids getting their mom back finally. And I think you're right. There is this kind of Mother Teresa complex about Mary to, to both Sam and Dean. And now they're going to have to navigate kind of having their whole lives change because a lot of their life was changed based on their dad being a hunter because of what happened to, to their mom. And you're right. She spent her whole life trying to avoid being a hunter and kind of keep Sam and Dean out of that life. And all of a sudden she wakes up, you know, 33 years later and all of a sudden her two boys are all grown up and possibly the two biggest hunters in all of North America. I mean, they are the two biggest hunters in all of North America. And I mean, just trying for her to understand the dynamic of like how her kids became hunters and everything that's happened. I mean, there's this great scene in this episode. It's probably one of my favorite scenes in the, in the first episode. And she's sitting at this little stand watching all these kids plan their technology in front of like a fruit stand and just watching her try to acclimate herself to being back after 30 years of just being gone. I mean, it'll be really, really interesting to see how they use her dynamic with Sam and Dean. And I'm really glad that they're not using it as a plot narrative. And it's more just personally for the uh, for the boys. I agree. And I mean, you kind of touched on it, but I, I'm 
really anxious to see how she inter- not how not just how she interacts with both the brothers individually, but how she interacts with them together. And what I mean by that is, I want to see how she responds to what their relationship is, mm-hmm. and how yeah. she kind of get fits and how and where she fits into that. Because I mean, Cassiel has f- finally found his place. I think after so many years of being with the brothers, he's he's found his place as quote unquote the third brother or the third Winchester in some respects. Mm-hmm. And and the both the brothers have a great relationship with him and he has with them both as a team and as family and i i'm really excited to see how mary tries to kind of get into that as i guess she'd technically be the fourth wheel and i mean i said they have kind of a mother Teresa complex sort of with her earlier but mm-hmm. really what i should have said is a mother mary <laughs> complex with her <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> i i also really like i think it'll be super interesting to see how mary interacts with Cass. um and we saw yeah. a little bit this episode but like Cass was kind of in the same boat when he showed up and to some point he is still in the same boat where he doesn't necessarily get references or there are just certain things that Cass doesn't understand and I think Mary will be in the same boat so in a sense we have a second Cass when it comes to two people not necessarily understanding where the rest of the world is at um, and I think the two of them can have some pretty fun and unique interactions just because they're kind of out of the loop on a lot of this stuff. <laughs> kind of reminds you of our mothers a little bit doesn't it? <laughs> oh yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the role of a mother, right? <laughs> oh yeah, no kidding. I, it, it, it's yeah, it's funny that regardless of if there's time displacement or not, that's that's still kind of where mothers are with their children. <laughs> True. <laughs> now moving on to Sam. Sam, in my opinion, has always been the most sympathetic character on the show. They've they've set him up from that from day one, and he's always, I mean, he's always been the one who's possessed. He's always the one who's tortured. You know, he lost his mother just like Dean did, but he also lost Jessica, Amelia, Bobby other friends and family. He lost his soul. He's lost his normal life twice. He's found out that Satan controlled most of the important people in his life outside of John, Dean, and Bobby. He's been hell twice. He's watched his brother die over a thousand times. I mean, Sam has had a rough life. And when he mentions to the women of letters that he's been tortured by Luce for himself, that seems to actually be the least of these bad things that have happened to him. When we see Sam this episode after last season's finale, he's been shot in the leg, kidnapped, and has to go through physical and mental torment, even seeing all the people who have died because of him, including Kevin which we know still kind of haunts him a little bit mm-hmm. or who he's hurt. I mean, it's brutal. So what were your thoughts, Tim, on Sam in this week's episode? And were you rooting for him to escape just as much as I was? Because, man, it's like kicking a puppy and watching him get right back up. Oh, I know. I mean, man, you got to give it to Sam this week. Take in just brutal torture. I mean, they basically roasted half his foot off right there. Oh. Not to mention cold showering him for God knows how long. And on top of that, you have them sending visions of every failure he's had throughout the you know 11 seasons we've been watching him in his life and you're right all the stuff he's gone through but this kind of seems like a drop in the <laughs> a drop in the pond for Sam you know just another day in the in the kind of crappy life right. he goes through but I think I think I definitely was rooting for him as much as you were and I know that when he he was so close to escaping and I was rooting for him I was rooting for him the whole time I mean and he's smart I mean he's going under he's going through mental torture and he's still putting up enough of a fight to almost escape the situation he's in and you have to consider like he's been shot in the foot he also has had the side of his foot roasted off and he's still able to hobble around and almost escape not to mention i mean he almost overpowers the the woman of letters that we meet in this episode and it's really impressive to see kind of sam on a just a physical level as he tries to escape this week and i really hope that he does soon and i would love to see sam be able to kind of outsmart the men of letters and escape on his own a little bit i think sam has the mental strength to do it and I, I really want to see where this men of letters plot is going with him yeah I do too and one of the things I've always loved about Supernatural is whenever one of the brothers rescues the other and I'm not talking about sacrificing to the point of death I mean that's been done to death so many times on this show <laughs> oh um, yeah <laughs> and, and death has finally said enough of that or one of w- one of his minions let's put and I, I so I'm really excited to see how Mary and Dean and Cass coming to his rescue is going to turn out but I, I'm with you I also want Sam to escape on his own and I think there needs to be some sort of middle ground between the two maybe maybe dean his mother and Cass taking out the women of letters as sam is escaping for himself so something of that nature to show that he can actually do it and he you know he, he needs to be saved to a point but he doesn't need to be saved yeah yeah so it's you know sam has always been i i always have a really hard time picking between sam and dean which is why i refuse to but <laughs> i but i know so many people who have picked dean over sam as their favorite character and i'm constantly an advocate for sam because of all the stuff he goes through and because i mm-hmm. understand you know i don't necessarily understand all that he goes through phys- 
physically, but mentally, I understand a lot of what he goes through. A lot of that yeah. just hardship and you know losing people that you care about and and trying to move on from that. And mm-hmm. that's always been one of Sam's biggest strengths. And the thing he's never really had to deal with is the loss of his mother. And yeah, because he doesn't have to deal with it like Dean, his relationship with her is going to be very different. I mean, obviously, we touched on that. We won't we won't go back on that here. But I, I, it's going to be really cool to see Sam this season not only interact with his mother, but but figure out he is by himself as opposed to just being Dean's younger brother. Yeah. And learning what he is as a hunter. Um, Well, I think that's a lot of what they're setting up this season is for a very, I mean, I think a lot of the Mary and the Dean interaction will be interesting this semester or this season. And I think it'll be an interesting way to see how Dean grows through the experience of being reunited with his mom and all that he's had to work through with that. And I think Sam will have to take a very introspective look at himself this season and kind of figure out where he started and where he's going. And I really liked the line from Dean, which kind of harks back to the beginning of the show and what they set out for, because he says this season, he says, it's what we do, mom, hunting monster or saving, saving people, people killing things. things. Exactly. So I'm I'm glad to hear it from them. And I'm glad to kind of see Sam and Dean getting back to their roots or as much as possible. And I think Mary will be a big piece of helping them get back to those roots that they came from in the earlier seasons. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think those roots that, that kind of started last season, we saw last season, Sam, and I talked about this ad nauseum on ATA last season, guys, so if, if this is a rehash, I apologize, but one of the things I love so much about at least the first half of last season of Supernatural was Sam deciding they needed to get back to saving people and hunting things. And, you know, they wanted to hunt the monsters, they wanted to do all that, but they didn't want to lose sight of why they were doing it, and that was to save people. And I, I always go back to the scene when Dean is, you know, he's kind of in a trance because of Amara, but Sam is in the hallway fighting two Deans, uh, two of Crowley's minions, and he tries so hard to exercise both of them from the bodies so that the human people within can be free. And he only gets to one. He can only save one and he has to kill the other. But it just the fact that he was trying after so many years of the brothers not having any regard for the human lives that were being possessed by the demons, it, it just, it was a breath of fresh air. And I think, unfortunately, we got so lost in the plot in the back half of last season that they kind of forgot that that's what they had set up. And I think with Robert Singer now being co-showrunner with Andrew Davig, Again, this season, uh, Robert Singer, who we know was here since the beginning of the show, I, I think they've decided they really need to get back to what made the show supernatural in the first place. Which is why I think we are we are very much on some level done with a lot of the cosmic, the god, the heaven, the hell, all that stuff. To a large point, I think we're going to be done with that by the end of this season. Yeah, you're right. I really do. I already just from the first episode, I'm getting much more of a season one, season two vibe from what's going on already. And I think you're right. I think having kind of the original people still writing parts of the show will do a lot and I mean I am hoping to get a little bit away from the the big god complex style stuff with god and Amara and I'm glad that they've been taken out of the show a little bit and and we can step back and I mean for the first five seasons the big bad guy was Lucifer so in a way I'm really glad to even have him back still Um, but I'm also interested to see like this men of letters plot that's about to go on we really still don't know exactly who's running the London chapter and what's going on a lot with the Men of Letters yet, or even necessarily, I mean, we got a little bit of clues this week on why the Men of Letters are hunting down Sam, but I don't think we fully know what the Men of Letters are doing or what the big picture is so far, and I'm really interested to kind of learn a lot more about the Men of Letters. Yeah, perfect segue, because speaking of Sam (laughs) and the Men of Letters, I mean, I thought the most interesting thing about the British Charter of the Men of Letters was that because of them, and unlike in America, monsters are stopped and killed almost immediately. Their system of using sigils to track monsters and then immediately take them out actually seemed to be super effective, and I'm very interested to learn more. It almost seems kind of a minority report to me. Obviously, the U.S. is a much bigger country than Great Britain, and it would be nearly impossible to Im- implement all the same taxes, tactics here due to the, that size and just the different culture of America compared to Britain, but do you think that we could see the Winchesters or even other hunters here in America use these same strategies and if we are going to have a men of letters hunters war on our hands this season something i know dan and i talked about last year and wanted who would realistically win what do you think tim well first off like i think you're so right about the men of letters chapter when it comes to the to the great britain segment and i mean one of the things is i really wonder what would have happened to the american segment of the men of letters if they hadn't been all wiped out by abaddon yeah and it it's interesting to 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 think that i think a lot more especially in the supernatural universe just takes place 
place in America. I mean, it's been the focal point of basically three major apocalypses in the last 11 years. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it, it's hard to say that the men of letters in America would have been able to implement the exact same tactics, but I think that the Winchesters definitely have an opportunity to he- here to learn a lot from the men of letters. And I think the men of letters are very organized. And as we saw this week, I mean, we saw that the fight with Dean and Cass and um, this woman from the men of letters and she had fisticuffs and she was able to take on both of them and an angel at the same time. I mean, they came prepared. They know what they're getting themselves into. They're clearly heavily trained fighters and they are more than prepared to take on everything from angels to demons and the Winchesters, um, which might be the hardest out of all three to take out. So it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, I'm kind of hoping for Men of Letters versus Hunter War 2. I wish we had a little bit more hunters that were established still later into these seasons that we could um, kind of see reemerging to kind of be part of Sam and Dean's team here to help fight the Men of Letters. I just don't know that there are a ton of hunters anymore, but I think it'd be really interesting for Sam and Dean to start getting some new friends and finding new hunters in the United States and kind of using the old Men of Letters bunker as a base to kind of reestablish the hunters in America. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And so based on that, do you think that the woman of letters that we met in this week's episode, uh, her name's Tony, by the way, I had to look her up just to make sure I could not remember. Do you think she's right then? When she talks to Sam about there's so much you can learn from us, we need to stop all of this apocalyptic stuff from happening and we can help do that. Well, I think it's really easy from the sidelines to say that we can solve the problem, especially when it's going well on your end. Right. Um, but they really haven't been in the thick of it. And I wonder, I mean, she even says the old man didn't feel it was our job to interfere with, like, basically the apocalypse as it was going on, which it seems like if you were ever going to get involved in an end-of-the-world level event, I mean, the battle between Amara and God might have been that that <laughs> key moment to get involved. I do think that there's a lot they can learn, but I also kind of agree with Sam on this one, and he isn't saying anything to them. And I agree with him because the men of letters have just rolled in like they own the place. And I mean, she even yeah. says, you guys are bad at your job. Well, they've stopped the apocalypse twice now, for sure. And they've stopped countless other stuff, including the mother of all monsters and, I mean, God's sister. I mean, they've stopped her, so... Not so I much think, in purgatory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's hard to say that Sam and Dean aren't good at their job. I think they definitely are good at their job, but it'll be interesting to see the dynamic between the men of letters and Sam and Dean, and, I mean, Dean is so fiercely defensive of Sam, I think the, the moment she kidnapped Sam was the, the final mistake for the men of letters, basically, for the London chapter because now Sam and Dean are going to burn anything and everything down to, to keep each other safe and they've only gotten in the way and it probably could have been handled a lot better at the end of last season in the bunker when she just kind of randomly showed up there to face off with Sam. Yeah, and banished Cass immediately. Yeah, maybe not her best move. I think she probably would have got a lot farther with the Winchester brothers with sugar than a gunshot, but right. that's just my opinion. <laughs> or at least a cheeseburger or two. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree and I think that because of because of a, kidnapping Sam, B, them saying that they're not good at their jobs, and C, not helping when the apocalypse had been going on multiple times, whether it was the Archangels, whether it was the Leviathans, or whether it was the Darkness. I think for those reasons alone, Sam and Dean are probably in the right right now, at least, um, in terms of refusing their help and saying, no, you go back to your home and let us keep protecting ours. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Mary reacts to this, particularly because I think it's possible that she could maybe even agree with Tony and the British Men of Letters simply because A, she doesn't want her family in danger anymore and B, because this is the life that she never wanted for herself or her kids or anyone to have to live and if there's an easier way of doing it where people were not in danger, I feel like it's something that she would take. So I think I think having Mary in this season is going to be a very interesting contrast because normally we see the Winchester family all united, Cass, Sam, and Dean and obviously last last year Cass, you know, kind of did his own thing by allowing Lucifer to possess him and Sam and Dean, you know, ultimately forgave him for that, as they always do, and even understood where he was coming from, but they didn't agree. I think this mm-hmm. season is going to be very interesting if Mary does not agree with the brother's stance on the British Men of Letters, what is going to take place, and A, how they're going to react, and B, what, what is Mary going to do for the sake of her family? Is she yeah. is she going to do something crazy, kind of like her husband did, for the sake yeah. of her family? I mean, it would be really interesting, and I mean, we even got clues to it this episode, but she even told Dean straight up, you know, this is not the life 
I wanted for you. I'd been trying to run from the hunters my entire life. So I think the philosophy of the London chapter of stopping it before they ever really get very far will be very appealing to her. So it'll be interesting to see how she interacts. But I also think that Mary is a, I think she's fiercely protective of her kids already. I mean, we saw her take out that one lady of letters on the road just because she was going after Dean. And I think we're going to see, you know, defensive Mother Mary come after anyone who's going to hurt her kids. And we even saw it when they were with the veterinarian who'd been treating Sam. The moment she figured out he was lying, she was like, hurt him. She was ready to get all the information she needed to go rescue her Sam. So I think she's going to take on that fierce mother role already. And she's going to be ready to click in there and do whatever is necessary to get her little Sammy back. I mean, they are still her kids. So it'll be interesting to see. I think she'll agree with them. But at the same time, I think her desire to keep her kids safe will also make her opposed to the men of letters. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think definitely at first we're going to see her being very opposed to the British Charter of the Men of Letters because of kidnapping Sam, because of torturing her her baby. I mean, the last time she saw him, he was a baby. Yeah. And I I think that's going to immediately cause distrust. But depending on how it goes, depending on how long Tony is still a character this season, I think it's also very possible that, you know, if Mary is on a hunting trip with the boys and she, they're off hunting the monster or they're off researching and she's somewhere else and she gets confronted by this woman, those thoughts, those ideas, those philosophies could be implanted in her head to the point where she starts to actually sympathize and realize that maybe that's actually the way to do things. And I think that's probably where it's going to end up going because that seems to be a tactic most shows enjoy to use. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think that, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I don't think that the London men of letters necessarily need to oppose Sam and Dean the entire season. I think they're still, I mean, we still have one of my favorite characters who we haven't yet talked about still running around being his um, devious old self and now we have Lucifer back on the run so it'll be interesting to see how the men of letters wind up interacting with Crowley and Lucifer and if those two characters wind up playing an influence on how the men of letters interact with Sam and Dean because um, and I know we'll get to this a little bit later but I really do think the way they're setting up Crowley there's a possibility for us needing a new anti-hero which could be filled with the men of letters and Tony where she is on their side but not always on their side and willing to help but they're also ready to take her out at a moment's notice if need be yeah I think there's a lot of potential with her character to be honest with you and I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm completely agreeing with you right now I think they could maybe do with her what they could not do with Bella back in season three so that yeah. that, that could be very interesting so but but going off of that I want to lastly talk about your favorite character on the show Tim Crowley yeah who <laughs> who you know we see Crowley stalking some of Satan's minions in this episode trying to track down the Prince of Darkness himself and reclaim his throne and title as King of Hell and honestly I didn't expect Lucifer to play a big role this season and Dan and I had even speculated that he had died last season when Amara blew him out of Cassiel's body. But evidently he had survived and body hopping while on Earth. Uh, do you think it's, and will be played by Rick Springfield in the next episode, which I think is going to be fantastic. Which is awesome. <laughs> do you think that it's possible, Tim, that Crowley could actually kill the devil and take his throne this season, thus actually becoming a full-blown villain again like he was in seasons 6 through 8? And would you be excited and or, or opposed to Crowley being on the opposite side of the Winchesters again? Well, I mean, let me first say Crowley has been one of my favorite characters in season five. I love the way they've developed his character. And after they took out Lucifer at the end of season five, I think he was a great character to go ahead and fill the void of King of Hell. And I'm super interested to see where they take his character this season. I felt that Crowley has been too much of the brothers' friends and not enough of the diametric evil that they should be they should be opposing because there's always been something bigger and badder. And I think it'll be really interesting to see Crowley kind of hunt down Lucifer. And I think one of the things that we're noticing about this season already, just from all the dead bodies that have been left in Lucifer's wake, is that Lucifer seems to be significantly weakened after his encounter with Amara, but still strong enough to destroy the entire host body he's trying to take. So I think the King of Hell, Crowley, is enough of a contender that he can go up against Lucifer this season and potentially win. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of role Lucifer plays, especially when it comes to Hell, because we see yet again in this season a divided hell i mean we saw it in season nine with abaddon taking over and it feels like ever since then crowley has been unable to fully completely retake control of hell once and for all and i think this season could very well be the season he does it and it'll be interesting to see if by the end of this season crowley is the big bad guy or if sam and 
Dean are still trying to focus on Lucifer and try and get rid of him, but it's it's hard to tell what Lucifer's motives are at this point. But it'll be interesting to see Crowley kind of hop around and follow Lucifer wherever he goes and kind of play this game of cat and mouse for a while during this season. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Crowley taking on the devil and and really going after him in full force because we we I mean like the demon said in this episode, we've seen him we've seen him as Lucifer's dog already. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, literally. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, we never had seen Lucifer and Crowley interact on screen together until last season, even though they were within the same seasons together. And now that the power dynamic has shifted, now that, you know, Crowley is at full strength himself, maybe not in terms of his campaign, but himself, whereas Satan is not, it is significantly depowered, it seems. It's definitely possible that if Crowley doesn't kill Lucifer, he's either going to put him in the cage or send him somewhere even darker. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a place, but I, I'm really, I'm that's my hope. I really hope that that's what happens. I hope by the end of the season, either Lucifer is in prison in hell again, or he's killed. And mm-hmm. the, my reasoning for that is because, and I did look this up while we've been talking, Supernatural has been renewed for a 13th season, believe it or not, go figure. And well, of course. <laughs> of course. And we, we did talk about this beforehand, Tim. What a perfect number for Supernatural to end on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> l- lucky number 13. Mm-hmm. And if we were to spend this season with Crowley opposing Lucifer, and obviously maybe the the men of letters and such, and the Winchesters all teaming up to destroy Lucifer once and for all, Crowley could reclaim his title as King of Hell and actually be a full-blown villain by next season. And he, yeah. he could easily be the final season big bad that we've been waiting for. And we know that they're not going to get rid of Mark Ashef this season, because not only is he contracted for next season, but he's, <laughs> but he's also a main character. He's one of four yeah. main characters now. It's Sam, Dean, Cassiel, and Crowley, which many people didn't realize by the time season 10 came around, they actually promoted Crowley from a recurring guest star to a main cast member of the show. And now that he is a main cast member of the show, he is pretty much contracted to be on until the end. And what a perfect way to bring that full circle. What a perfect way to have Crowley be the final villain of the show as they've been setting up for so many years. You know, we've seen him be full on evil like in season six when he was trying to find purgatory and in season eight when he was trying to stop the brothers from closing hell forever. What if finally in season 13, the brothers decided it's time to get those gates of hell closed because Crowley is on the throne and there's a problem. What if it's time for Cass to finally step into his role as the defender of heaven now that Lucifer is gone and no longer trying to take control upstairs? What if it's Mm -hmm. finally time for everything that we've been waiting for since season five, everything that Swansong basically alluded to happening, whether it was Crowley being king of hell, Cass trying to manage heaven and the Winchesters going on with their lives. What if it's finally time for that to happen? And I, I think yeah. I think this season has a very interesting a very interesting tone already, as we talked about, but it also has a very interesting role in the overall series of Supernatural, with last season being possibly our last big cosmic season, and this season being the bridge between season eleven and possibly a season thirteen where we see all the stuff I've been talking about happening. It, it, we could very well see something like this happen. And I think it's very probable, personally. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I agree with you. I would absolutely love to see a season thirteen big bad Crowley again. I mean, I have been waiting for it since the end of season eight. And the the worst couple seasons for me, of course, were season nine and ten when they made Crowley go all mushy. But I think Lucifer is a perfect opportunity for Crowley to regain his his sense of badness again, I guess is the best way to put it. But to really become that big bad guy again and to have Lucifer kind of push him to really become the bad guy he was and kind of that smart and deviant person he was at the end of season five. I mean, he was opposed to Lucifer even then. He wanted him gone. And so I think even now you can see a Crowley who's building to the exact same thing, who's going to have a showdown with Lucifer. And what a great thing for the Winchesters to be too busy with the Men of Letters to help Crowley regain his title as King of Hell. And then maybe it finally clicks for Crowley. Wait, these guys aren't my friends. And I mean, we had a couple moments in the past couple seasons, you know, especially an interaction between Crowley and Sam where Crowley was just like, look, I want you to know at a moment's notice I can snap your neck, kill you and be done with it. I'm saving you by the grace of me being Crowley. And that's about it. So I want to see the fury, the the fire that is Crowley finally come back. And I really do agree with you. I hope season 13 is the final season one, because you're right. What a great number 13 to end on. But also because I think finally taking out Lucifer, putting Crowley back as the king of hell, and then having him opposed to the Winchesters one final time in this series is a satisfying way for, for every character to fulfill their role and, and go out at the end of the 
series finale. And think about it this way, too. And I, I think you and I have actually talked about this specific theory, but I, I failed to mention it in my little thir- season 13 pitch. <laughs> if they all team up to defeat Lucifer, what if for whatever reason, Mary is the key and Crowley has to kill her? I mean, yes. what better way to bring it back full circle to season one? The Winchesters have to lose their mother again, maybe even at the beginning of season 13, maybe not even at the end of this season. And start hunting what killed her once again mm-hmm. and, and it being a demon again exactly you know, at, at, and at this point the king demon you know they, they thought yellow eyes was the king demon no they thought lilith was the king demon no then they <laughs> find out oh it's actually lucifer and they actually beat him they have done that and now they're gonna do it again and if they do do it again then the only other option because you've defeated the darkness you've you know you've settled all of your god issues you've settled everything in mm-hmm. heaven at that point you, all of that's been dealt with leviathans have been dealt with dick roman's been killed you know you don't even have him to go back to you just have the king of hell you just have crowley and if he has killed their mother if he has done all of this stuff it's personal again and this season we mm-hmm. already have said feels more personal and her return feels personal as opposed to being for the plot well it could easily be personal this season and turn into the plot and actually make sense and actually flow and work so yeah. i, I think i like you know i think there's a lot of potential with this season of supernatural and i think there's a lot riding on it and maybe if the writers are listening to us at all maybe you know maybe they could hire Let's us help. to help write it you know or oh no, yeah sure yeah yeah right <laughs> No, or or let's or you know, or they're just listening and they're thinking, and maybe these are the ideas they've been thinking of, or maybe yeah. this is this is the thread that they're looking for. I don't know. I, I doubt there's anybody from the show listening, but if there are, I, I hope that you at least consider what we're talking about here today. And I re- I really do hope that this is how Supernatural finishes up because I think I don't think there's a better way you could do it. You know what, Bobby Singer, give us a call. We'll help you write the finale. We'll help you finish up seasons thirteen. We'll write it all ourselves if we have to. Right. But you're right. I think that would be a great way to roll from season twelve into season 13 and the one thing we know about the winchesters is even when they tried to close hell even when you know lucifer needed a body family comes first they would never give any of it up i mean they were they were on the doorstep of closing the gates of hell and they just couldn't bring themselves to do it because family is family so if the plot twist happens to be the only way to stop lucifer is to kill mary winchester i mean i can never see either of the brothers being willing to do it and Crowley being willing to do it in a heartbeat. I mean, it's just been it's been his goal for seasons upon seasons now, you know, almost seven seasons to try and get rid of Lucifer once and for all for for good. So for him to, you know, snap a Mary Winchester neck to, to accomplish his goal seems exactly like the kind of thing we would expect from Crowley and the exact kind of thing that Sam and Dean would avidly try to avoid at all costs, which would definitely put them at odds for a 13th season. And I would absolutely love to see that be the plot twist and don't worry supernatural guys if you're listening to us you can take our ideas we don't care we just want a satisfying show ending <laughs> yeah no absolutely and we just want a satisfying you know role for crowley a satisfying role for the brothers a satisfying role for cat i mean we just want to be satisfied when it comes to how this show is gonna happen. exactly and at this point we're not entirely confident it can happen although i'm starting now after talking about all that to be really confident yeah. about it <laughs> so now if that doesn't happen i'm gonna hiss so oh, you and me both (laughs) but i think that's about it for our supernatural section this week guys tim any final thoughts on this week's episode well i just like to say it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for inviting me on the podcast i'm really excited to see where the rest of the season goes and to experience it with all the listeners at home too and you know i'm just really excited to be part of the podcast so thanks for inviting me on yeah absolutely i'm glad to have you tim and tim will be with us the rest of the season to talk about supernatural guys don't worry um i will have someone to bounce off my thoughts with as opposed to just talking to the air so it'll be good I really also enjoyed this week's episode and I cannot wait for next week. So until then, guys, carry on. We'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Thanks, guys. On next week's episode, we'll continue the fall 2016 TV season with a review of the next episode of Star Wars Rebels, Westworld, and Supernatural. DC Nation also continues with episodes of Gotham, Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, and DC Legends of Tomorrow. Also, be sure to keep an eye out for Steve, Wu, Nikki, and the rest of the Marvelverse crew doing the Marvelverse podcast and their coverage of the Marvel Cinematic and television universes but for now and much of this season we're going to let dan close out the episode with his pre-recorded closing get out across the airways podcast network website across the airways.com again that's across the airways.com you can check out all of our podcast shows available as their own individual programs get the itunes store get google play store guys for the podcast shows cutter network we have the dc nation podcast located at dc nation that across the airways.com again that's dc nation that across the airways.com which reviews popular DC Comics related
animated TV shows, and movies. There's also the Marvelverse Podcast, located at marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairways.com, which reviews Marvel comics-related TV shows, and movies. And we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheairways.com. In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheairways.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes, core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, and the mixed radio station, Code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the podcast box app. And if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace. Get the Windows Marketplace has a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback, got the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, got across their waves. There's no thought in there. It's just across their waves. Join our circle, got Google Plus. Or leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-3363. Again, it's 773-809-3363. Also, when sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Give the subject line. Give you are sending us listener feedback you want us to read. God, the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. So once again, for our ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Amy, Wu Kim, Joshua Mercury, Steve Nostro, and Michael J. Petty, I'm Nico Reistek, and until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airways. See you guys, and thanks for joining us for another episode of ATA covering Star Wars Rebels, Westworld, and Supernatural's premiere. See ya! Now return to our regularly scheduled program.